Hello, 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 and happy Saturday. We made it through another week of our newfound dystopia. Lucky us. And welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It's episode number 34. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer. You can find the Sports Kiki wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcasts. We're available for you on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all there. Always appreciate you listening and downloading. This was a big week, not just for our humble podcasts at Outsports, but for humble podcasts everywhere. It was International Podcast Day this past Wednesday, so I hope you all celebrated by subscribing to the Sports Kiki. Uh, We have a great guest lined up for you this week. Jeff Reuter is a staff writer for The Athletic. He covers Major League Soccer and professional soccer in general. And originally, when I was talking with Jeff about coming on, we were going to talk primarily about his coming out announcement. Jeff publicly came out as bisexual on Bi Visibility Day last month. Um, and we were going to talk about his coming out process. Uh, Jeff has been out privately uh, for many years, including to his wife, um, who's also bi. So we were going to talk about that and whether he feels liberated after coming out publicly, how he feels it will affect his work going forward, uh, the importance of bi visibility, all of that good stuff. And then Jeff wound up covering uh, one of the biggest stories in sports this week, uh, the San Diego Loyal. We're playing the Phoenix Rising on Wednesday in the United Soccer League. And what made this match notable is Colin Martin, of course, is a player on the San Diego Loyal. He is the only active, openly gay male athlete in major U.S. team sports. He came out in June of 2018. He's played in the MLS, and now he plays uh, in the USL. And as I mentioned, he's on the Loyal. And he says a player on the Rising, Junior Flemings, hurled a gay slur at him in the first half of their game Wednesday night, a Jamaican gay slur meant to mock and ridicule effeminate men. Uh, So the loyal, after halftime, walk back on the field, take a knee, and then walk off the field, led by their coach, the great Landon Donovan. So this has been a huge story. There's a lot of ways to go about it. Uh, The conversation between Donovan and and the Phoenix manager, Rick Shantz, was captured on video. Uh, and you see how Shantz's reaction to being told about the alleged gay slur. Um, it's, there's just a lot of things to sift through here. Most notably, my big takeaway is you look at the overall culture of the United Soccer League and their corporate culture and the Phoenix Rising in particular. This is a team that has done a lot of LGBTQ work. Brandon McCarthy is one of their co-owners, the former Major League Baseball pitcher, and he's been an outspoken ally over the last decade or so, um, especially on social media. So that's the context in which this is occurring. And I mentioned that because the way that the Rising handled this originally, you know, Rick Shantz, who says he's an ally of the LGBTQ community, uh, he originally dismisses Donovan when Donovan brings this up to him. And he even asks Landon Donovan, how long he's been playing soccer, (laughs) just saying, you know, they're competing, they're competing, Uh, just writing it off as locker room talk. Brandon McCarthy, who's apologized for this, but the fact is he did it on Wednesday night, started direct messaging a random soccer fan on Twitter, uh, casting doubt on the motivations behind the San Diego uh, forfeit, which is insane because the Loyal were not only leading the game, but a possible playoff berth was on the line. And they needed to win to get in. And they were winning, entering the second half, and they forfeited to stand up and show solidarity with their openly gay teammate. That is quite a powerful statement. And for anybody, especially a purported ally, to raise doubts about that, question the motivation of Colin Martin, is just 
is upsetting. It is, and it shows you that these attitudes are prevalent throughout society, and it's not just the homophobes or the people who are anti-gay who may propel them. It is people who, like McCarthy, have done very good things and have been very good allies. There is that 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 inclination sometimes to to second-guess the victim, and that's what McCarthy did on Twitter this week, sending out a number of messages, again, to this random fan named Mike Dickerson, uh, saying... They wanted to forfeit tonight's match about the Loyal. We only found out Monday night that we were playing. The Loyal forfeited a match last week when a black player was called the N-word by an opposing player. Um, McCarthy said they wanted to continue their statement. Then this happens. It's a context behind things that we don't understand. So kind of ugly stuff, again, from an organization and a person who uh, has done a lot of great work for the gay and LGBTQ community. So a lot of a lot of ways to go with this. Uh, Jeff, of course, uh, has covered the hell out of this thing. So very excited to talk to Jeff about that and is, and is coming out. It's a Sports Kiki episode number 34. Thanks, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the show. It is the Sports Kiki podcast, and we're very excited this week to have on our guest, Jeff Reuter. Uh, you know him from The Athletic, where he covers professional soccer, and he certainly was in the middle of uh, – Covering one of the biggest stories, not just in soccer this week, but all of sports. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I think I need to catch up on some sleep this weekend, but overall, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I saw you uh, the night of the San Diego uh, Phoenix incident. You're, you're up tweeting at, you know, when the wee hours of the morning. How do you, <laughs> was, that, was that an all-nighter for you on Wednesday? <laughs> it, it basically was. I think between that and then some other things that, Ended up uh, showing up in my inbox, we'll say, uh, as that was all ongoing. Um, I, I didn't fall asleep, I don't think, until about 4 o'clock Eastern. I'm based out of Central Time, so that's irrelevant. Yeah. But just to kind of give you a, um, just a perspective here, I think it was about 3 o'clock, 3.30, when I finally fell asleep, back up at it at 7, and then Mike and I got to work on that story. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of catching up to do this weekend, but it was a story that definitely was worth uh, putting the energy towards. So were you so were you covering the loyal the San Diego loyal and Phoenix Rising game anyway or how did this story jump on your radar on Wednesday? Yeah, actually I wasn't. So I for those who are unfamiliar, I my my beat is a national one covering Major League Soccer in the United Soccer League while also chipping in uh, whenever I can on both the men's and women's national teams as needed. Uh, and I was not watching that game at the time. I was not watching a game at all. Actually, I, I just suddenly got a, a few texts that said. Uh, I think it was right beforehand that the, the game was getting very chippy and that they were about to get a, a free kick and it was going to be this great goal. Um, and it ended up being a goal. Uh, they didn't predict a goal. But I, the third goal uh, that San Diego scored came immediately following, as it ended up, the, the sequence between Junior Flemings and Colin Martin that ended up becoming the uh, you know, the, the, the most important moment in sports, arguably, this entire week uh, with the conversation and with the homophobic slur. So I was watching just after the goal. I caught the whole on-field scrum. I caught Landon Donovan running onto the field to defend his player, uh, the interaction between the two coaches and the officials, all of that stuff I caught. But I had not been watching it uh, up until just like a minute beforehand. Yeah, and it was certainly, uh, and, and you posted the video and, and everything. It, it was certainly a lot to, to sift through. Um, just in general, now that we're looking back at it a couple days, you know, from from the incident, what are your big takeaways from uh, from the week? I think, I mean, look, that that incident. There's there's a lot of societal 
uh, trends that showed up just in that very small 15-minute window between the foul or the, the interaction itself and then the, the discussion uh, yeah. between the coaches. I think that you're able to look and you're saying that, you know, excuses of, uh, you know, locker room talk, it's, they're just competing was the term that uh, Phoenix coach used. Uh, right. You know, things like that as, as justification for hate language, that has no place in society. That has no place in sports. But it is something that locker rooms, that coaches, that players still cling to. I mean, like, obviously, there's, there's the Access Hollywood tape from eight years ago as well, uh, suggesting that it's not just sports, it's celebrities, it's politicians, it's our president. But I think that your, the fact that even after um, some serious progress uh, that had been perceived in both society and in sports and in general soccer is tend to uh, tends to be seen as one of if not the most progressive sports uh, just because of how global it is and how multicultural it is which then in theory gets people more used to other viewpoints and other uh, other cultures um, that's not the case it's not perfect it's not this like utopic sort of existence there are still people who would say you know oh put the game above humanity and if that means that you know we're we're prejudicing somebody based off who they are uh i just hope that we win that's still like a prevailing kind of thought process uh, that that you do see yeah and i thought that uh the way that you know rick shantz the, the phoenix coach his uh his response was very seemed very dismissive um of of Landon Donovan and and everything you know when he was first alerted of it, and then I thought his statement after clarifying it, and you mentioned this in the piece you wrote for the Athletic, uh, was totally misleading because when he was questioning Landon Donovan's soccer credentials and how long he's played, which you know I loved. I mean, come on, really? Right. But uh, if you're going to question he was anybody. Do- right, right, and he was clearly doing that when Landon Donovan brought up the homophobic sore that was allegedly said. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think, so I, I co-wrote this with Meg Linehan, uh, one of my colleagues at The Athletic, mm-hmm. and I think as we were talking about this, as we were texting about it both that night and then the following morning, and we're outlining the piece and kind of figuring out how do we try to condense this thing into something that people can actually read without having to, you know, print it in hardcover, I think that we saw that the, the slur was unacceptable, but it wasn't unprecedented. Unfortunately, it's an instance where, Every six to 12 months across sports, you will see some incident. If it's not a homophobic slur, it's a racist slur. Right. Or it's a sexist effect. Right. Like you, you see the language itself. But what's happened more lately is that people will own up to it. In two instances within the same league that have happened across the past 18 months where a player has used a racial slur and been caught, they have owned up to it. And they've said it's a cultural difference thing, which isn't a perfect excuse at all. Both players were rightfully terminated from their contracts. But um, they will at least admit that they did it. Fleming's to date has not, despite the fact that we do have, you know, we've been able to confirm from one Colin on the record, putting out his story in the athletic, and he can give you the full kind of minute by minute, beat by beat account of how it all played out that night. And you can read that at the athletic subscribe for a dollar a month. I'm supposed (laughs) to do that, but you can also, um, I don't know. I mean, like the, the, the excuses, um, Rick Shantz saying, you know, it's part of the game. And then someone's saying, oh, when I said how long, it was because he ran on the field, which was at no part of the 90-second clip that SportsCenter got kind of the, the audio without commentators talking over it and just the raw audio of that microphone and that camera. At no point are they talking about him running onto the field. They're only talking about him 
uh, I mean, about the slur, about homophobia. Immediately before he says they're competing, how long have we been in the game? He said, that's not racism. Misunderstanding what Landon Donovan was saying, because a week beforehand, a San Diego loyal player uh, was racially abused verbally on the field. So, no. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just the, this culture of, I, I, I'm going to make excuses, I'm going to, uh, you know, it, it wasn't me not wanting to get punished in that fear of repercussion instead of being responsible and being accountable. Uh, that is where you really need to make that change. And that's something that Athlete Ally, a spokesperson for Athlete Ally, made a fantastic point about also in that piece. Yeah, no, uh, no, no doubt about it. And uh, just, you know, what's so what's so interesting to me about Con Martin's statement in particular is, you know, on one hand, he says that this is the first time he's heard a gay slur directed at him on the field as a soccer player. Um, you know, you mentioned in the piece as well, he came out in June 2018, and, you know, it's the first time he reported a slur. Um, his teammates forfeited a game for him that potentially cost them a playoff berth over a gay slur that was said in another language. Um, but then he closes his statement by saying, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, that we have a long way to go in educating ourselves and kicking hate out of the game. Um, can both of those things be true, though? I mean, it's hard to find a more strong statement of solidarity than forfeiting a game on behalf of your gay opponent. Can, can, can both of those things be true, you think? I think so, because you're looking at the locker room that involves the only openly gay male athlete in major American sports. So it, it's one thing if a teammate of Fleming's had heard this, if you'd seen that same halftime interaction, and suddenly Phoenix is saying, like, man, I don't want to play with this guy. And if you're not going to throw him out, we're not going to play the game. That's one thing. Because then you are going, you are standing in solidarity, but you are also not the direct recipient of the slur, right? So for, for San Diego, it's setting a precedent. And this is something that's never happened, right? Like, I, to my knowledge, in any country, there has never been a moment. You know, you'll, you'll see racial slurs always tend to be the comparative moment because there are just so few open uh, gay athletes in men's sports. But in Italy, for example, there, there are instances where black players still have bananas thrown at them from racist fans or they'll go monkey chants and all this stuff. And they try to walk off. There's a very uh, potent, um, horrific incident that happened in Italy last year with Mario Balotelli, a striker, where he was from fans. And he's trying to walk off the field because he's like, I'm not playing under these conditions. And his teammates are like running to restrain him from the tunnel and trying to keep him and begging him to keep playing the game so that they can get a win. Um, that is the culture of sports where we'll deal with it after the game. But for right. this window of time, we need to keep doing our jobs. And so there is a long way to go. I mean, Phoenix, to, right now, it took until last night, two hours after the athletics report came out from Megan myself for Phoenix to say that they were going to put the player and the coach involved right. on indefinite leave. Um, it took until then. That is something that should have happened immediately when the investigation started immediately Wednesday night, that as this is being put under the microscope by the United soccer league, these two will not be involved with the team and we will prepare for our next game as if they will not be there until proven otherwise. That's what it should have been. Instead, it took the, I don't know, it, it took the national spotlight. It took a national publication like The Athletic writing about it. It took this news cycle lasting more than 24 hours for them to be like, oh, this is serious now. That is this culture in sports, and that's why I think Colin is right that there's a long way to go. 
And what did you make of Brandon McCarthy, who's one of the 17 co-owners of the Phoenix Rising? Well, as a tidbit, I, I didn't know that they're, they seem to be a pretty cool organization. Uh, you know, Diplo is, is a co-owner as well. I mean, right. they, have a, they have quite a star-studded group there. But what do you make of Brandon McCarthy, who I generally like, former pitcher? Yep. Um, you know, he's been an ally in the past and been supportive. But, you know, he sends that direct message to that seems like random soccer fan, uh, kind of questioning mm-hmm. the potential motives behind the San Diego Royals walkouts. Uh, what do you, what do you make of Brandon McCarthy? And I know that you spoke with him as well. Um, Correct. Yeah, that. I did. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right to characterize it as a random fan. This is somebody that he hadn't had an interaction with uh, talking with this fan uh, in, in DMs. And this is something I put in the piece. They're not even a Phoenix fan. So it's not even like it was like some influential supporter because in soccer, there's the supporters culture where you have groups of thousands of fans who stand in the corner and do chants and wave, whatever. And they're the, like the most visible embodiment of, of fandom within a stadium and within a club. So they, they tend to have better relationships or maybe are more likely to have an ownership with headquarters of a club than, you know, the, the, the casual come and go fan or the season ticket holder who isn't in the chant section. Um, so it's just the random dude, basically. And he's DMing and he's saying all these things like, uh, you know, basically accusing San Diego of trying to use the moment uh, to put themselves in a greater spotlight. And, and then, of course, saying, like, oh, I'm not saying that for sure, but there's a chance. And it's just like, come on, man. And so I, I was messaging with Brandon. Um, I got a statement from him on the record, and then we were just kind of chatting on background. And he, he regretted it. He was deeply remorseful about it. He pointed out, and of course, this always happens, right, where <laughs> straight allies, quote, quote, will always point to work they've done in the past with the LGBTQ plus community and say like, look, I've done all this. I've done all this stuff. Like I don't hate it. I don't hate the community. It's nothing like that. And he's probably also seeing some stuff in my Twitter bio that I've added within the last 10 days, which maybe we'll get into in this interview too. Um, So, so he's backtracking it a little bit. He is remorseful. I do believe that's the case given, like you said, his general visibility and character from the last decade or so in professional sports and on Twitter. Um, but if that person is still willing to throw out the potential of this being some conspiracy of trying to use this to get points or whatever phrase he used, right. and that's coming from an ally, that's another really worrying sign that it isn't just like the stereotypical homophobe, but it's people who try to brand themselves right. publicly as saying like, look, I am as supportive as anyone could be, but privately still harbor these thoughts. That's everywhere in society. Yeah, that's such a good point. And the obvious insinuation is, if you say it could be some sort of conspiracy, is that, you know, Colin Martin is making it up, which to me is just so insulting. Um, So let's get to uh, your big announcement. Last week, uh, you publicly came out as bisexual on Bi Visibility Day. Uh, My first question is, what prompted you to do it? Yeah, um, I mean, that's something that I've, I've wanted to do, I think, for two and a half years since I became or started on a more national beat within major league soccer, some background here. Uh, I was, um, I'm, I'm still 26 years old. I was out throughout my time in college at Hamlin university in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I did a lot of stuff with like new student mentorship with orientation. I was speaking to you know, coming first year class. Uh, and so within those speeches, I would usually reference that, you know, I'm a bisexual male and, uh, so that was part of my persona um, or just part of kind of what people maybe knew about me if they didn't know who I was when I was in college. As soon as I got out into the quote unquote real world at the end of 2015 graduating, um, it just didn't really come up, I guess. Um, and I started covering soccer that same time in 2015. And I think as time went on, uh, first of all, I was single 
So I think that there is also a lot of, I mean, the, the, the kind of classic stigma around bisexual men um, that I just didn't want to get caught up in publicly at the time. Uh, I try to keep some, a fair amount of privacy in terms of my personal life because I'm a sports writer and nobody's interested in the personal life of the sports writer. Um, but then I met my now wife, who is also a bisexual. Um, she's a woman. And we, I mean, she's out as well, been more out. And so she was kind of saying, why weren't you? And job security, sadly, was the reason I could come up with. And, and it, it's, it's so sickening. This is the first time I've actually been able to talk about this, too. So um, you have as long as you need, but also cut me off if you have a yeah, certain yeah, amount of no, runtime that you're looking for here. Um, no, it's interesting. I, okay, got it. Thank you. Uh, but I, I was unsure. I didn't know because in this industry or in sports in general, right, like it's not a player. I'm not it's not going to have the same sort of visibility or impact necessarily of a Colin Martin, of a Jason Collins, of a Michael Sam, but it's, it, it's still like a personality within sports. Whereas time went on and as just my general kind of workload and then I get my job at the athletic and then I have, you know, suddenly there's a subscriber base of over a million who's possibly scrolling through and reading my stuff. Uh, it kind of grew and grew into this wanting to do this. I'd been out to my immediate family since 2012. I've been out to my friends ever since then. And if, if there's a good friend um, in my life, they knew already. Uh, so this wasn't like a big coming out to my, my, my immediate circle, so to speak. Um, but then, I mean, I've been at The Athletic for in a salaried role for a year and a half now. I've been married for a year on the 12th of October. I will not forget that date. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just, there's, there's some of that kind of stability. Um, there are many organizations within the athletic to try to, um, kind of add a community and, and kind of a voice within headquarters among, uh, minority groups. So like there's one for people with mental health issues. There's one, um, or allies of all these groups as well. There's one for women. There's one for our black writers and editors within the newsroom. And now there's one for uh, the queer community that we've called the agenda. Um, and so as the agenda, the agenda. launched, uh, yeah, just the agenda. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, as that launched, I took on a leadership role within it, one of three members of this. And it, I think as, as I started to do that, as I looked at the calendar and saw, oh, by visibility day is, you know, three, four months away, um, as I assessed where I'm at in my life, um, it just felt like the right time, I guess. I, I think it's something I'd wanted to do. I never wanted that part of my identity to be a privated thing, frankly, stepping back into some sort of public closet felt really strange to me. Um, and I, I just, I don't know, the athletic, I, I mean, we, we get pilloried about this all the time about being, uh, a, a, you know, like about not being shy about covering uh, things with a sometimes left leaning slant as it comes to social issues. And it's really sad that those end up becoming left or right. But um, yeah. I, I felt accepted. I feel accepted by our, our leadership at the headquarter level, at the editor level, at my peers, uh, in the writing room. Um, and it just, I, 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 I didn't feel like there was a reason not to anymore. Um, so it feels good. I mean, there's like a, there's a, a liberation of sorts that I never expected to have, or that I didn't know I was missing in my life that I've felt since uh, that day. But um, yeah, I guess that's, that's your really long answer of, why I decided to do that when I did. You know, I mean, there's a few things I want to go from there, starting with, you know, do you feel like now you are liberated to use that word to do 
some of your best work? Like, for example, do you think that you covered this Colin Martin story uh, better now that you're publicly out than you would have if you were closeted? Or do you think it has no impact? I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, probably. It's interesting, though, because when Colin came out and we were doing interviews, um, we did a, an extended sit down for The Athletic. I was freelancing for them at the time. Um, and we did just like a raw Q&A transcript sort of thing about him coming out and his experience as a closeted uh, gay footballer. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as I turned off the microphone, he had said, like, I've done a lot of these in the last five days. This was like five days after he'd come out. We ran this on the 4th of July as a special sort of thing for the website. Um, we, he was like, you're asking really informed questions. And I've had to see a lot of writers or newscasters get pretty flustered with this. Um, and so he was like, you know, so I just want to kind of like, thank you, like for being able to actually do your research and, and know how to word these things. And I just kind of blurted out, well, I'm part of the community too. So Colin's <laughs> actually known for two years. And, and there are certain people like Minnesota United's head of PR was also in that room. So he is known for a couple of years. And then there are a couple of other people at other clubs that I, um, yeah. you know, it goes beyond just kind of like the, the reporter source thing. We're just talking about life and we're talking about friends and stuff or just talking as friends, basically. Um, and catching up about families and all these other things. And it's come up to a few people. Um, but I mean, fast forward. So then when Colin and I are talking on the phone, like we, that dynamic or that part of who we are has already shown up in um, conversations that we've had. And so when I'm interviewing him and I'm saying like, hey, can you talk about the experience? He doesn't have to do as much of the code switching from um, recalling to educating. He doesn't, and he's big on the education of people uh, who are not part of the queer community so that they understand what it is and how to be a good ally. That is a major part of who he is and what he's done over the last two plus years now. Um, so she doesn't have to do as much of that stuff. So in turn, I guess that there's also a part of it where like our interviews, he doesn't have to do some of that stuff. And so he can cut right to the chase, understanding that I will be able to do some of that educating work within my prose. Um, I, I mean, look, I was really angry Wednesday night. I was like, uh, when yeah. I was staying up, like I was, my hands were shaking until probably about two thirty. It took me to finally like get to a point where I could at least go in bed and not just be out in the living room staring at a wall. Um, so, like, I, I think that now that the timing is never ideal, but the fact that I had come out exactly a week prior and people, you know, were aware that this would be handled, this story would be handled by two queer writers, um, that might have made it if not easier, then it certainly, you know, I've been thinking about this and it, I wonder if it made the story a little more impactful. Yes. And I wonder if it would have necessarily had the same reaction or my tweets or my talking about the incident on Wednesday night and me being able to say, you know, as a queer person in men's soccer, this should never happen. Like if I couldn't say that because I was still not publicly visible as a bisexual right. man, would it have the same sort of reaction? Would people take it as seriously from my feed? Not the whole incident. It would have. But just my particular perspective of it, I think that that's something where, again, it might not be easy, but me speaking about it, I don't know. It's a visibility thing, right? It, it's, it's a right. representation sort of thing. It's a, like, this is going to be handled by somebody where they've lived some of this stuff or they, you know, I, I think right. that you've, sort of stuff is important. Right. You've lived, you've lived, you know, some of the experience. I mean, you're not a player, obviously, but you are an LGBT, you know, Q male in the world of professional soccer, just like Colin Martin, you know, so I, and, and your audience knows that and they know it after you coming out. I, I think it does add power to it 
And it must have, you must have just felt, you know, because me, like if I were Quasin and I was reporting on a story like that, I would have felt muzzled to an extent that I couldn't, obviously the subjects are always the focus of your story, but I don't know, I would have felt very frustrated if I weren't out covering that story because I would have felt like I was leaving some of, I was leaving some of my feeling, you know, kind of hidden if that were the case. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's going to be a follow-up because inevitably the, the investigation from the league is going to conclude. Phoenix will decide what to do on a permanent basis with the player and the coach involved. Um, and so that's something that Meg and I are keeping tabs on. Um, and I will say, too, by the way, it, I am beyond fortunate to share a newsroom with Meg Linehan, who has known for uh, much longer than when I came out. And so being able to, yeah. like, look at somebody who is queer within the sports journalism community and, and read how they talk about these and, and make it in a way where it's not necessarily like, I would never want to, ugh, and this feels so self-serving some of like these answers on this, on this podcast, so it's a little uncomfortable for me, but I would never <laughs> want to spin the experience of a soccer player getting called um, a homophobic slur on the field into a Jeff Reuter story. I would right, never right. want to do that. And that's something that I really, really, really try not to do despite being a writer who's not afraid to add a little personal voice in the story. Um, but I think that there is a, um, yeah, I, I guess that, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, it's just being able to talk about it and not second guess myself about, am I going hard enough or am I holding back? Or to speak about it in a way where a reader knows that or feels less uh, anxiety about, will I mess up how this story is told because I'm just not aware um, some of that stuff, I think, just kind of comes baked into it now, uh, given who I am and who people now know publicly that I am. Uh, you said a few minutes ago that, you know, you're a sports writer and, you know, people don't care about sports writers' personal lives. I mean, with all due respect, I do disagree with that. I mean, I look at myself, you know, Steve Buckley um, is a yes, really good yeah. friend of mine. And when he came out in 2010 or 2011, I was uh, I'm 27. So I'm about your age. I was a senior in high school. And that was such a monumental moment for me to be like, wow, this person who I've been reading every day, who I listen to on the radio, see on TV, he's doing my dream job covering Boston sports, and he's gay like I am. Like, I think that is powerful. Um, Did you have any, I know that you say that at The Athletic, there is a great support system, but growing up, did you have any openly LGBT writers? I know you mentioned Meg, um, who who have inspired you. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe not as many. I, I don't think yeah. I knew that I wanted to be a sports writer until I just kind of stumbled into it. Like, I just mm-hmm. started, like, podcasting and blogging for free just outside of college about the team in the second division that Minnesota United used to be in the second division of men's soccer in the U.S. Um, I just kind of started writing about them. And then, I don't know, a website reached out, asked if I wanted to write for them more. So I did. And then other people read that stuff because it was a team that was about to go into major league soccer. So it grew in terms of the team's following and, um, you know, fast forward and people were telling me to pitch the guardian and other publications in the athletics. So it, it happened in such a way where I think that I wasn't necessarily looking for queer writers. I wasn't necessarily actually looking at specific writers at all in terms of sports writing. Now, I mean, like there are, certainly writers and performers who have been, um, you know, pretty instrumental just in terms of my interest in writing, which I've been very interested in ever since I was, you know, a child. Um, I think in that sense, that is something that I have been um, very, uh, very cognizant of. Um, I, I mean, like Kim McCauley is someone that I have an unbelievable amount of respect for and have followed 
throughout, I mean, very many different publications in many different parts of SB Nation, obviously, and then now some future projects as well. Um, I, I think that, I mean, you're looking at things like, you know, I, I read uh, Truman Capote in college, right? Like, you're, you're suddenly just getting into this other lane, right? Where I, I think that there's also a part where maybe I just wasn't looking and maybe I didn't know I needed to look because I wasn't so dead set on sports writing at a time. I know that that's not, it's not an inspiring answer at all. And yes, no, I've talked to Steve Buckley about this too, because now he's at the athletic, but um, yeah, yeah I, I think that that's something where now I'm much more um, maybe those, those kind of like, I am more interested in that. I am much more um, attuned to looking for, uh, if not specifically bisexual writers, because there is, uh, it, it's not a terribly visible part um, of the community right now. But I, I think that, you know, the, for queer writers in general, it, it is certainly a community that I want to be more active within and I want to be um, more supportive of other queer writers and magnifying their work regardless of what publication they're at. Yeah, it's a great community. And, and you mentioned it in your in your coming out statement, too, that you posted on Twitter uh, about the visibility, you know, that bisexual people aren't, quote, hard to understand, um, you know, in some respects, I was talking about this with um, Connor Mertens for a story who was the first uh, active college football player to come out uh, five or six years ago. He came out as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, he said that, you know, bisexual people in his estimation are kind of the marginalized within the marginalized of the community. Um, yeah. And- if I'm not the first person to say that, then I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about that. I mean, like, yeah, look, like it's I would I would have this sort of, as I was talking about this, and I've always been very receptive to people who have questions, earnest questions, not hurtful questions about what is it like, about what is, uh, like, what has your past, your experience been? I will always take those questions from friends. I will always take those questions from people uh, who maybe are looking to come out, not sure how, and all that stuff. I'm always very happy to talk about my experience with that. But one thing I, I, I would kind of test people with is name a bisexual man and don't say Frank Ocean. <laughs> and the amount of people who would just freeze up and say, like, I can't name a second living bisexual person um, was, was pretty eye opening to me just in terms of like, and I did this partially like just to, I don't know, give them shit or whatever. But I think there was a part of it, too, where I just wanted to like, know like how visible are we? <laughs> like how Like how many people can, can you just readily throw out and say like, Oh, this person, this person, this person, this person, right? Like I wasn't getting a lot of that. So um, part of this for me too, was just like give sports fans another person that they can point at. And, you know, like I added um, putting the buy and byline on my, my Twitter profile this week. And it's just like, like, cause I'm eventually, I'm going to have to unpin that. I think I unpinned it last night for the Colin Martin piece that we put out yesterday. But I don't want that to go away. I don't want that necessarily to just kind of fade into people's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He is like, I want that to be um, an actively visible um, part of who I am and part of the community as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, like some some of the old tropes, like I've had uh, gay friends get disappointed when they hear that I'm bisexual. I've had um, gay friends who are, who are like, well, nice to see you have fun on my wedding day, which was really sobering. Um, like it's... Uh, it all happens, you know, like wow. that sort of stuff is real. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so I, I think it's just something where like, I don't know. I mean, we're out there. There's a ton of us out there. Like I had a lot of friends in college and post-college 
uh, who identify as bisexual, it's not that they're not there. It's just that within like more visible parts of society, they're not necessarily as, because there are so many questions and misunderstandings about what it means to be bisexual, to be pan, to be uh, anything within that kind of broader spectrum of being attracted to more than just one gender um, or just, yeah, you know, so like, I, I think that there are so many questions like that where I want to help, I guess, just normalize it in my small yeah. little niche community of American soccer fans, I guess. Putting the buy and byline, I like it. That should stay. Um, Jeff Fruder, you can <laughs> you can follow him, and you got the rainbow flag too. I see, so you're all you're all set up. Um, Jeff Fruder, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Fruder. That's R U E T E R. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it, man. Of course, anytime. So thank you for tuning in to another edition of the show, and a big thanks to Jeff Ruder from The Athletic for taking some time out of a very busy week for him and coming on and giving us his first interview since publicly coming out. So there you go. Tune in to Sports Kiki, read out sports for all of the exclusives like that. Uh, again, thank you for listening. Always a pleasure, and we'll talk to you next on the podcast next Saturday.